At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JustBaseball when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget... If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Today is Thursday, September 28th, and we're talking about the Wild Card Madness as always, right? It's it's an every episode thing. Thankfully, Peter and Fink talked about the teams that suck, so we don't have to. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton, just baseball show on Thursday the 28th, as always, presented by BetMGM. I also have to ask you a very vague question about Kyle Bradish, uh, and then we're going to kind of talk through what some pre-arbitration extensions could look like because I'm working on something over at JustBaseball.com and it's 10 guys that I ID'd for a pre-arb extension and it's what that deal could look like. Aram, welcome back to the show, man. Uh, thank you, man. It's it's uh, it's good to be back. Um, definitely been a bit of a you know tumultuous week or so. I don't know for those who who may not know, but. Um, unfortunately lost my grandfather over the weekend and, uh, he was 87. He lived a, a full, full ass life, but I, I think I've mentioned him several times throughout like the, the course of, of the just baseball show in our 500 plus episodes. I think it's impossible to talk about baseball and, and not mention my grandfather. I, I, I 
listed i posted the the whole tribute and things like that if i start getting that deep into it i promise you i'll cry uh which is probably crazy to people because i'm such like a, a cynical and and i think very like serious guy like for the most part yeah i'll joke around but it takes a lot to like get the waterworks going my grandpa's automatic waterworks um dude was my best friend uh he was there with me pretty much all of my games at graduation everything when my dad died after my mom, the first person I hugged was my grandpa and, and, and he helped me through that. Um, yeah, it's, there's nothing like grandparents, man. Uh, you know, my grandpa was from the Bronx, big Yankees guy, which is probably shocking. I used to, before Peter, I used to call and troll him. And then when Peter and my grandpa met, I was like, good, you guys can get your Yankee shit out together. And that was, that was really funny to see. Of course, grandpa, Peter was grilling my grandpa on like 1940s Yankee stuff. But that was one of the coolest things to me is I had like an encyclopedia available to me. I flew home a, a ton over the last five years. It was one of the like weird silver linings of COVID. I just didn't leave home and I spent most days with my grandparents who lived across the street. So, you know, really blessed to have him as long as I did. Uh, he was one of the most special people in, in the world, really. I know everyone says that about their grandparents, but I mean, just never ending smiles uh, and just just so kind to everybody that he came in, in into contact with. And, you know, it's definitely something that I, I'm going to try to keep with me. You know, I think we can always be better people. We can always be nicer. We can always be kinder. And, you know, they always say like, oh, go compliment a stranger or whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, that's so weird. My grandpa was the king of that, man. And it just came natural with his, you know, New York accent and just rip a compliment, start chatting up whoever it was. Uh, the last thing I'll say is when, when we went to pick up all of his stuff, obviously the, he lived in, in, in an apartment building at this point and all of, all of the employees there just had something to say and, and, and wanted to share, you know, a story. And when I went to grab his car, which also really sucked, um, there was a big handwritten note, full page, like your, your grandfather, George was, and my middle name's George after him. I know I'm bouncing around, but your grandfather, George was the most incredible man. He never just took the car keys from me and went, he asked me about my family, asked me about my life. Uh, he shared some things with me that I'll carry for the rest of my life. And I thought about that. I'm like, that's such a mundane thing, right? You, 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 the valet car comes up, you say, thank you. You maybe hand him a couple bucks if you're nice. And then you hop in the car and go. And like, it's just little things like that, where you can engage with a person. You don't need their whole life story. Just how are you doing today? Uh, A little bit more than, than, than what the average person does and how much of an impact that makes. Like those are the things that'll stay with me. So love you, grandpa. I'll miss you. And uh, I I wouldn't be doing any of this if it weren't for him. I could tell you that. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, beautiful, man. And obviously everybody is just baseball sending a ton of love your way, but he's, he's clearly part of your baseball origin story, which is, you know, a, a huge thing in this. And like, I think everybody at just baseball has a baseball origin story, whether it's from, you know, family or, or a very close family friend. Like for me, my, my family were huge baseball people. And my my grandpa still is a big Red Sox guy and he's 90, but you know, his first memory in Red Sox history was a Ted Williams. And, you know, here he is still talking about Connor Wong and, you know, Jeter Downs before he got DFA'd. So you know, like that is a huge thing. And baseball is one of the very few sports that has not lost fans, really. Like, obviously, there are people that are not joining on to baseball in the young crowd. Like, you know, we're, we're really lucky because we get to connect with the young crowd of baseball. But, you know, like 
these these guys got in on baseball when they were 10 years old and they never left and they're yeah. following through the iterations of the game and that's the beauty of this sport and i'm sure you had conversations with your grandpa about judge last year during his chase for maris and oh, yeah. like your grandpa remembers maris which is just a beautiful <laughs> thing so yeah. The, the, the last thing I'll show you just jogged a thought in my head is, you know, my grandpa was brutal with technology, like obviously. Yeah. And he's like, how do I listen to you? And I just showed him how to, how to pull up the podcast. And I'm like, no way he can figure this out like on his own. And um, he would start to call me and be like, Oh, like, you said this, or like, you guys were talking about that. Or um, and when, when Walker started coming on, he's like, how did this happen? You know and I'm trying to explain to him? Like the way, the way, like the, I, I God forbid I try to explain to him TikTok. I didn't go there, but um, just explaining to him like the podcast world and the media world. And he was just so fascinated and so excited. And um, it, it was just, that was like part of what I think pushed me is like, I went to Derek Jeter's last game with him and my, my father and those memories and those things that like instilled this love on a different level, right? Sharing those moments, seeing a man that was, you know, I, I guess at Jeter's last game, he was in his late seventies um, yeah. or mid seventies. Just seeing him still so captivated by the sport, I'm like, that's what I want to be. I, I, I always thought, oh, you outgrow it or whatever, whatever. And I'm seeing my dad and I'm seeing my grandpa, different stages of their life, way further ahead than me, still loving the hell out of the sport. And I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to be in this forever. And um, yeah, and that's a big reason why I've got the love that I've got for this game. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll miss him calling to, to check in and talk ball and, you know, ask me about some of the things we talked about here. Tell me I curse too much or whatever, but um, you know, I, I, I corny cliche. I, I know he's, he's out there somewhere and um, it's, it'll keep me going. For sure. Um, no, man, you, you paint yourself as a curmudgeon, but knowing <laughs> that you have a lot of your grandpa in you, you're clearly not a curmudgeon. That's just like what you're trying to put off, but you know, <laughs> he's, he's the, he, he is the one person that I think in my dad, just keep me from being full blown curmudgeon. Um, but I'm very proudly arm George Layton and uh, my first kid will probably be George. I can tell you that. Love it. Um, let's have you lean into your curmudgeon a little bit. Cause I need you to explain to me oh. what happened with Mets Marlins. Oh my God. Yeah. Let me switch gears real quick. Yeah. What what's, what's going on? <laughs> like, dude. Okay. I, I, so I know you don't know the whole deal. Cause you're, you're in, where are you again? You're in Europe where uh, I'm in Portugal? Kokomo, Indiana. I'm a little North. Yeah, I'm yeah, in Lisbon, yeah. Portugal, which is sick, by the way. Yeah. Um, excited to hear more about that. So Marlins Mets, they have a game yesterday. As you know, very important times. And we're going to talk a little bit about the wild card because some crazy shit yesterday. Um, that's a way to talk about my grandpa saying I cursed too much. I ripped like five in the last 20 seconds. But uh, the Cubs loss, I want to get to in a second. But first, Marlins Mets, this game they had plenty of time to prepare. There was 0.05 inches of rain yesterday. But the issue was that it rained over the weekend a lot. Normal people and well-run teams would cover the field when it rains a lot. For some reason, the Mets didn't. And the Mets' excuse for the field just being unplayable, too mushy, just, just impossible to play on was, hey, uh, we had a soccer game here six days ago. And that really messed the field up. And then we didn't cover up the grass and the dirt because of the soccer game. We wanted things to get right. So when it poured, it just poured all over the field. First of all, 
the Yankees played two games on or several games. They had one rained out when the pouring was happening, and then they were able to play games within the last six days. Second of all, if the excuses ever that we had random exhibition or just ra- another sports game on our field, I feel like that should almost instantly be a, a penalty to the hosting team. I support hosting other events on your field, but don't yeah. bite off more than you can chew. If you can't, that shouldn't come at the expense of the other team because you're trying to spill in some more revenue. And let's be real. Why, why, why does Steve Cohen want to have these soccer matches there? Because they're about to build a gigantic soccer stadium right next door that he's very involved with. So, like, yeah, I get that the season is lost, and maybe it was the plan all along. That part I don't know. But you got .05 inches of rain the entire 24 hours uh, around that game, and you couldn't prepare the field by then. Like you couldn't get it right by then because you didn't cover it up over the weekend when it was pouring. And then you use a soccer match as an excuse. It, it's embarrassing. And, and for those that are saying, oh, oh who cares? I'll play a doubleheader. This kills the Marlins because now they have Braxton Garrett scheduled, who's been one of their best pitchers, especially with Yuri and, and Sandy down. And I want to yeah. talk a little bit about seeing Sandy. That sucked. Um, yeah. But you would have had Braxton go yesterday. And then it would have lined up for him to pitch game 162 against the Pirates, who he pitched his best start of the year against seven innings, like 12 or 13 punchies. So now Braxton has to throw today. He won't have his full rest for game 162. And they got to just run the shit out of the bullpen because either they're going to need Braxton to go shorter and go short rest on 162, or he's just going to pitch his normal duration here. And they're going to have to go bullpen again on 162, which just sucks. Do you think that – so I guess the way I would handle it if I were Skip was I would have Garrett go based on the situation. So if the Marlins go down early, if they're down 3 nothing the third inning, he's done after three. It's not a bad idea. Um, if the problem is this, one, yeah. you got to go bullpen game two. It's a scheduled bullpen game game two which sucks. They had to shut down Yuri, who I, I don't know if we talked much about it. I watched that last start of Yuri. He needed to shut down. Like he yeah. was the poor guy. Kid was gassed. He, he said it himself. And then Sandy tried to throw in Jacksonville. I, 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 I came away from that outing. I literally walked, walked out of the ballpark said, there's no way this guy throws. And he went for shoddy and he was sitting 95, 96. But anytime you try to see him, um, uh, supinate you know and try to throw a breaking ball you could just see him guard it and you could just see him just kind of flexing and just not looking right and i was like no way so it, the marlins are in a really tough spot there um helps that they have the tiebreaker helps that the cubs threw up on themselves <laughs> against yeah. the braves yeah but it's just crazy to me that the like ineptitude of another organization can really now impact the marlins and of course the marlins i'm going to care a little bit more but I just think it's funny. And Steve Cohen actually just fired out an apology tweet. Our sincere apologies to the Marlins and their fans for having to postpone last night's game. We know how important this series is to the Marlins and every effort was made to get the field playable. I think that would be the case if you covered the field over the fucking weekend. I, I just don't get how that happens. And, and it seems like from what I understand, like I know there's always more going on, but you know, you rarely see Craig Mish get fired up. Craig Mish was not happy, and he said, you know, the team is livid. The team is absolutely livid. And, you know, I think people are reasonable. They understand the situation. I just think maybe they couldn't have played no matter what. 
But I think there was ways that they could have given it a better shot. And if you're able to get the field ready today, here's my thing is if it's ready today, it only rained 0.05 inches yesterday. If you're able to get it going for a doubleheader today, that kind of tells me that there was something you could have done to get it ready yesterday if you got the yeah. ball rolling a little bit earlier. There was just no urgency, and they don't give a shit because their season's over. I think so. I And, you know, obviously, like, the head groundskeeper at City Field knows way more than we do. Of course. But, I mean, I feel like if you see a shit ton of rain coming over the weekend, even if the field is a little prodded on, like, don't you cover the field up? I don't know. And that would be a question that I would need to ask. Like, hey, why didn't you cover it up? How bad was the issue? Because it's not like they were working on the field when it was pouring in New York that weekend. So, yeah, that's just kind of bizarre to me. And I and guess the, and the Yankees playing, the you know, the right. Yankees playing in another bur- like borough over there is, it just is kind of what makes it even more frustrating. Right. That's really weird. That's the part. Also, arise this this nagging injury. He rolled his foot on a ball uh, during batting practice, and then what? He aggravated it yesterday. A couple days ago. A couple um, days ago. So, dude, this is even worse. Uh, he slips on a baseball when he's shagging, uh, you know, in BP. Which, by yeah. the way, uh, one of our one of our UK listeners, Calvin, he responded, and goes shagging? Question mark. I, I totally <laughs> forgot. I watched a little Love Island with my roommates. Shagging has an entirely different definition in the UK. Um, So, no, it wasn't doing that, although that would be way cooler than I slipped on a baseball. The UK version of shagging to sprain your ankle would be way better. Also super illegal, but, yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) What, to sprain your ankle? No, shagging in the outfield. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be real bad. I don't think I said in the outfield. I think I just said shagging. So I I totally left that open for interpretation, but he was shagging in the infield ball rolled over and he just stepped on it. So that was the first iteration of this. He comes back, he's playing through pain and he cut, they pull him from the game early. Um, Just, just the defensive replacement, you know, no need to have him on his feet longer than they need. Tanner Scott comes in and the Marlins have that, that very exciting light show that they do when the closer comes in. Arias was going down the stairs to the clubhouse when the lights cut off and he slipped and messed it up even worse. And now he's in a splint. I don't think he's going to play anytime soon. I think it's going to be a few days at least. He's like fully in a splint, can barely walk. Um, Like that's just fluky, fluky, fluky stuff. Is this kind of putting worst case scenario in your brain? Like, oh, okay, the Marlins are done. It was really fun while it lasted, but – of course, the perfect storm is hitting literally right now. Well, Tanner Scott also hit the paternity lists. <laughs> Congrats on him for having a kid. Yeah, Delay yeah. two more yeah. weeks. <laughs> yeah, come on, Tanner. You couldn't you couldn't tell your wife to to just keep it in. Like it's so funny to me. It's, it puts things in perspective because it's like he's having a kid, and and it feels like all hands are on deck right now. It's but just crazy. It's like, Holy shit! You're having a kid. Go enjoy that. That's the biggest joy in life. But yeah. it, it also is one of those things where it's like. Be there and then get your ass back. It's funny because the paternity list is like you can only be there for like three games anyways. Um, but no, super exciting for Tanner Scott. Uh, hopefully that means that he can come back maybe for the second game of the doubleheader. Today. We'll see. Um, maybe he comes back with some dad strength. But it's just to answer your question, if the Cubs won yesterday or two days ago as people are listening to this, I'd be like, oh, here's the beginning of the end. Yeah. But the Cubs blew a six-run lead. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, man. They feel vulnerable. And 
it's it's interesting. The D-backs feel that way to a degree too. Um, to me, I, this is the best I've felt about the Marlins situation because to me, the, the, the D-backs and the Cubs a couple weeks ago, they looked like a force or at least one of them did. And recently, I, I know the D-backs are seven and three in their last 10, but some of the losses are like, ugh. And, and I would say they look like more of a force, but the way that the Cubs have kind of fallen apart in some ways, and I thought yesterday's game or two days ago as people are listening to this, that was one that really accentuated things for me because you had managed questionable, questionable managerial decisions. You had um, a, an implosion of a six run lead. And you also had just that, that eye opening nauseating error, which I really feel for say Suzuki because Ronald Acuna struggled with the same ball in the same spot, not long before. And it's, it wasn't a matter of effort. It wasn't a matter of ability. It was just, he lost the ball in the lights and I just think that moment to to like punctuate it, I could see things unraveling kind of quickly for the Cubs. Yeah, really quickly for the Cubs. And it was kind of the perfect storm because Steele, your ace, your Cy Young runner-up, was on cruise control through five. And then it was three in the sixth, two in the seventh, two more in the eighth for Atlanta to take a 7-6 win. They were leading 5 nothing through five. Hell, I think what top six is when they scored their six runs. So they were up 6 nothing. And there were seven unanswered to end the game, and they were spread out across three innings. The thing that got to me was what was Javier Assad doing in there for one inning? Obviously, we can point to Suzuki. Obviously, we can point to the offense going quiet. Obviously, we can point to the rest of the bullpen, too. But Javier Assad, I'm looking for his last outing of fewer than three innings. It's on July 29th. Before that, this guy went an inning and two-thirds twice. And then before that, I have to go to May 25th to find his outing of fewer than two innings. He was such a good starter. Why not just have him start games? I know his last two appearances have come out of the bullpen. I know that you want him to go back to that Swiss Army knife role that he was so good in at the beginning of the year. But for him to throw in the eighth when the wheels are falling off, when you've got a guy that went eight innings of one run ball like two weeks ago, That was a weird managerial decision on my end. And Ross is kind of getting cooked over the last week and a half. And David Ross is a great guy, and he's great with the media. But I think we're starting to see some managerial shortcomings exposed on the north side of Chicago, which really stinks to see. I just – I'm seeing, like, a lot of, like, just – almost overthinking to a degree. And we talked about this. I I love Pete Crow Armstrong. I adore Pete Crow Armstrong. Like he's one of my favorite prospects in a while, just the way he goes about his business, how yeah. funny he is in, in the outfield. And, you know, it's funny because I feel like a hypocrite when it comes to prospect rankings. I, I don't value defense as nearly as much as maybe some evaluators because it's just it's tried and true that, you know, glove first guys just don't have the same level of hit rate uh, as prospects as bats, because especially in the game that we're in today, that said, Defense is still incredibly important, especially if you're at a position like Pete Crow Armstrong's. I love Pete. He was not big league ready. And I understand we talked about this. We don't need to rehash the whole conversation. But now they're just trying to throw him into these situations where it's like, okay, well, if he's not totally big league ready, he can help us here. It's not how that shit works, man. They're getting cute. They're seriously just trying to get cute right now, and that sucks in a wild card chase. A a Sean Murphy pump fake when you've come off the bench and you haven't seen anything like that. It was a first and third situation. Guy steals from first. 
I mean, Sean Murphy sold the shit out of that because he's one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball, and he throws everybody out. And I don't blame PCA for taking three hard steps there. That was the play. But you need to be a big leaguer who's seen that, who's seen really good, really good catchers, you know, do those sorts of things. No one's pulling that shit out that much in the minors. No one cares enough about getting those outs. You just throw the guy out at second. If the run comes home, it comes home. You're just there to work on shit most of the time. So, you know, that was just an example. It's like PCA gets hung out to dry there. And yeah, of course, it's his fault. It's his mistake. But you got to think about what what kind of situations you're putting these guys into. And uh, I just thought it was a tough position for him. And then I don't remember exactly how they move things around, but he pinch runs. He comes in. And then I think they later pinch hit wisdom for him. Do I have that correct? Because if that's the case, PCA probably makes that catch. Again, I think it was lost in the light, so who knows? But it's it's just interesting to me. Like the one way that you could really benefit from PCA is defensively. And you're late in this ball game. You need to preserve a lead. And now PCA's burned and and can't be in the outfield there to to, to help. And I think that's the one area where it'll be the most seamless for him. So, you know, I, I think it's just one of those situations where I don't know why PCA is there. And then I don't know why we have a little bit of overthinking. Justin Steele was livid to come out of that baseball game. And you know what? He's not going to win the Cy Young. But to me, I think it applies to anybody that's a Cy Young finalist. You ride that guy uh-huh. and you let you let him go as far as he can take you. And I think that would have been the preferable way to, to do it um, is, hey, like, let's let's let him go. And, and let him stretch him out, you know, at least to the let him finish that inning. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, Jose Quas inherits a runner and then gives up the earned run for for Justin Steele. Like if you have a Cy Young finalist in this position, he was throwing well all game to your point. I know it's the Braves, but a lot of uncomfortable at bats against him with yeah. that, you know, that cut ride. I just I'd let him go. No, there was a sequence to Austin Riley that I was watching. And I mean, it was high fastball take, high fastball take, low slider swing. It's he gets into this two pitch rhythm that is unbeatable. And I say two pitch rhythm like it's a bad thing for a guy like Justin Steele. It's not a bad thing for a guy like Strider. It's not a bad thing. And their fastball slider combinations are very different in profile, but they are very equivalent in success. And this year. Steele has been better with his two pitch combo than Strider has with his. So yeah. yes, let him get through it. Steele I, at this point, he's not fighting for that Cy Young. I think he knows that. I think Rossi knows that too. If Steele wants to get through the sixth and have those three earned runs stay where they are, he's not worried about an ERA bump. You're worried yeah. about ERA bumps in June and July. Yeah. Steele's trying to get his team to the freaking playoffs. Yep. And he didn't get the opportunity to do that. And then you try and jigsaw this thing where you're right. You pinch hit Patrick Wisdom for Pete Crow Armstrong and you take his glove out of the field because this guy's OPSing 154 in his career to this point. And then you put Javier Assad in there for an inning, which is uncharted water for him over the last two months. And he allows two runs. The Braves do that. The Braves get on you quick. And David Ross did not put the Cubs in the best position to handle the Braves getting on them quickly. Yeah. Can I, can I actually, I, I got the whole lowdown now here. So it was, and you hit the nail on the head there, but so let's start with, I think this is the least of the issues. Cause I get pulling your starter after he walks somebody and gives up a single, but it was, you know, kind of a seeing eye single, um, not hit hard at all from Matt Olson. And then you have Ozuna who was zero for three to that point off of Justin Steele. Now you bring in Jose Quas and, and Ozuna lines a 111 mile an hour double, which scores a run. 
and, and that's what ends up happening. But then Quas settles in and and uh, you know is able to get out of the inning. But I, I think Steele earns the the right to do that. Now, one other thing that really stands out to me is Talkman starts this game in center. PCA pinch runs for him, and again PCA instantly one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. And then you pinch hit wisdom for PCA. So to be able to do that. Now you have to move Cody Bellinger, who started the game at first base, into center. And Bellinger is an all-world defender in multiple spots. But again, you're getting really cute with it. Not only is it the the probably not the best defensive situation, it's also just a little bit too too much of just moving parts. A guy that started at first is in center, and you know maybe a more aggressive Bellinger who was in center field mode mentally in that game goes and gets that ball. I don't know, but it also is one of those situations where if you don't pinch run PCA and then burn him by putting in another guy right after maybe you could put PCA in right. You know, I just think there was, there was a little bit more that could be had there. If you're pinch running a guy and you have so little confidence in him hitting that you end up pinch hitting for him shortly after that, when you have a lead, I think that's kind of bizarre. So that's just kind of where I'm at on it is I just think if, if you don't trust PCA, why is he there? And we, we talked about it. Like I was looking at all the underlying metrics. It looked like he was going to struggle up there. High chase rate, relatively high end zone whiff doesn't mean he's not going to be a good baseball player. I think he's going to be a phenomenal one, but he's young. He doesn't have that much experience and they're putting him in a really, really tough spot right now. And I just, I just don't get why it's bad for him. It's bad for the team. And it's causing, I think Ross to, to try to do too much and, and try to, you know, like you said, kind of put all the pieces together here and, and overmanage. You know, I, I'm forgetting which one Ross was a teammate with. I don't think he was a Quinton Berry teammate, but like I'm going to say something that might piss some Cubs fans off. At this very moment in the 2023 wildcard chase, Pete Crow Armstrong is a Quinton Berry equivalent. He's an unusable bat. Yes. So why is Ross doing this in the middle innings? He, he sensed that it was a big moment there. And he doesn't give him the opportunity to come to the plate. Now, he's got way more talent in one hand than Quinton Berry did offensively. Like PCA will have really good offensive seasons. But right now, at the major league level, he is a Quinton Berry equivalent. Three weeks ago, Pete Crow Armstrong was prepping for Jonathan Heasley and Anthony Veneziano. And now he's prepping for Max Fried and Spencer Strider. And he was seeing catchers like Jose Briseño and Chadwick Trump and Jair Camargo. And now he's seeing pump fakes from Sean Murphy. He's not ready to help you in really, really meaningful ballgames. And we had that conversation when he did come up. We said this could get really ugly, but it could also be really exciting. And unfortunately, it's been way more ugly than exciting so far. Yeah, I want to go to another young, exciting guy. He's not a rookie but I have a a sweeping question for you. Why is Kyle Bradish so ridiculously good? (laughs) This guy had another amazing start last night, a one, nothing win for Baltimore to lower the magic number to two in a win over the Nats. Yenier Cano, by the way, was amazing in the ninth, perfect ninth punched out the side in order that diabolical, like fastball and like splitter slash changeup pitch mix is just unfrickin' believable. And Felix threw a, a live BP yesterday in full uniform. So Bautista could very well be back this week. But Kyle Bradish, his line yesterday, eight innings, three hits, no runs, four Ks, two walks. And obviously you can say, Jack, look at the slider. The slider is equivalent to Spencer Strider's slider. It is equivalent to Devin Williams's changeup in terms of run value. 
I know that. But this guy sits 94, <laughs> and he's got a slider and a curveball that's really good too. How did Bradish go from what he was last year to a 2.86 ERA guy? And for my money, the surefire game one starter for the Baltimore Orioles when they do play in the ALDS. Isn't it funny how fluid the sport is, man? Because I know Bradish has been great all year, but the way he's thrown the last couple games is totally just solidified him as the game one starter. Because we were talking about it like, hey, you, Grayson. you I think you said Grayson. Like a couple I said Grayson ago. like three turns in the rotation ago, maybe two <laughs> turns in the rotation ago. And now I'm like, I don't, Bradish, I don't not a doubt I'm mind. not even – I'm not even saying this as a chirp. I'm like, this sport is so wonderfully fluid. Like, I'm with you. Like, to me, I was kind of on the fence of like, well, let's see, I leaned Grayson's ability to just shut it down. Well, and then and you means, see, two, but means just through seven innings of one run ball, too. Like, means was an option, it seemed like. <laughs> it's sick. All of a sudden, this team has like, it's not sexy, but Braddish, Grayson, means like that, that works. That works. And at the beginning of the year, I would have been shitting myself if that was the postseason rotation for the Orioles. I'm like, so, wow, they're getting bounced in three. So to answer your question, it's one of those classic things. Throw your 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 bad pitch less, throw your good pitch more. But conventional thinking is <clears throat> you, you, you don't want to throw a slider more than your fastball. That You can't do that. So what he's done is – Basically, the four-seamer was the problem last year. Got tattooed. And it, and it still is. I, opponents are hitting, what, like 380 against his four-seamer yeah. right now? But instead of throwing it 44.5% of the time last year, he's thrown the four-seamer 22% of the time this year, splitting it with a sinker. <clears throat> Excuse me. Splitting it with a sinker. And so when you're able to go 22% four-seamer, 20% sinker, and the sinker has been much better. Opponents are hitting 239 against it. No slugging numbers. A ton of weak contact. Then you up the slider usage. He was throwing the slider about 30% of the time last year. It's 31, 32% now. But I think the biggest thing is cutting a horrible pitch in half, right? So instead of throwing it 44% of the time, he's throwing it 22% of the time. That's the big difference. And having the confidence with the slider there and having the sinker be effective, then that taste-breaking curveball and the changeup that he'll mix in from time to time. He's got a deep bag of pitches now. He's able to mask that fastball. And the way I usually talk about it with guys like that that have that flat, you know, just not a good fastball, even though it's low to mid, is just how can you mask it? How can you hide it? And I think Kyle Bradish has mastered the ability to hide a mediocre to poor fastball. And that's pretty awesome. He gets outs. I was just going to say that's really cool. I think that's awesome that you have a shit fastball and you're somehow pitching to the tune of a 286 and you're going to start game one for the best team in the American League. And I do think yeah. that they are going to clinch the division at some point very soon if it hasn't already happened by the time you're listening to this episode. I think the Baltimore Orioles are going to win the American League East, be the best team in the American League record-wise, and Kyle Bradish is getting the ball game one of the American League division series. And I'm jet-lagged as shit. I couldn't sleep, so I was watching the early slate because the late slate, like Mariners Astros starts at 3 a.m. over here. So unfortunately, <laughs> it's condensed game city for me on the late slate right now. Um, by the way, Kirby beat Javier. Who gets in? Is it Houston or Seattle? Real quick. Oh, man. I, I think Seattle. Is out. Oh, God. I think, okay. No, I think Seattle's out of gas. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, I think good. Seattle's out of gas. I do. I 
I don't know. I mean, it was it was a big win for them watching that last night. And and also whoever the fan is that threw that ball at George Kirby, you're a loser. Um, that was weird. Don't do that. But I, I, apparently they found that person and it's good to go. Like, dude, if six inches higher, you rock him in the mouth. Why does he deserve that? That's bizarre. You're a weirdo. But anyways, and George Kirby took it like a champ. I will say that. He just was like, yeah. what the hell? Um, yeah, it wasn't a malice at the palace type of thing, which yeah. it would have been a lot harder to climb through there. Also, real quick aside, that's a sick throw, though. I got to say, over the net and everything, like mm-hmm. that's a dot. I'm not respecting it. I won't. I refuse to respect it, but it was somewhat of a, of a dart there. That guy's um, probably still, really good still, at cornhole. Yeah, I, I saw TWM, my favorite Marlins guy. I was like, see if he can if he can throw like game 162 for us because find that guy. He's like, yeah, I think that guy needs to be found immediately and, and added to the Marlins active roster. But no, actually, don't do that. Stop being weird. These guys are not, as you mentioned, like zoo animals. It's bizarre. But anyways, sorry to digress. I just think the Mariners are taxed, dude. I, don't, I know they won it yesterday, but when I watch this team, I'm just like, they're, it just seems like they're scratching. And, they keep scratching and clawing. Yeah. And I, I want to keep believing in them. And it's just weird. This is not a, an Astros team I'm used to seeing either, though. This is yep. such a vulnerable Astros team. It's, it's almost like a battle of attrition here versus who's going to, you know, who's going to be able to take that leap and, and grab the final playoff spot. For me, it's like, who's not going to fall apart more? Yep. And, and that's hard as hell to predict. It's hard anyways, but it's hard to predict that who's going like, to fall apart less. Houston has been in the ALCS more often than not in the last decade. And until I see them not make the postseason, I'm not going to believe that they are not making the postseason. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's hard for me to say that the Astros are not playing playoff baseball when we see them in the ALCS, the world series every single year. hundred percent. And also it's fair to note. I mean, you got, you got to go through Texas if you're Seattle, which I mean, that's going to be tough. That's going to be very, very, very tough after this series, which already is all hands on decks and tap. Because they're trying to put a division away too. Texas is still playing for something until the final day. We're we're omitting Texas from this conversation, but they're only a game ahead of Houston. Yeah. I love the way that this winds up, dude, because on the other side, the Astros have three against Arizona. You know, Arizona needs those games. It's in Arizona. So literally, I think both these teams are going to be, I think, lose the series. I think both of these teams are going to lose the final series of the year. Who gets swept? Or who, I really think like it, it could be won by the game that that is yeah. already happened by the time we put this out, which is Framber Valdez versus Bryce Miller, because yeah. I think both of these teams are dropping the next series. So it's whether you get swept or not, um, it, it's coming down to the last one. And what's fun is you got Verlander game one sixty two, and then on the other side, I'm I, I don't have it in front of me. I, I'm curious. Who I gets, think it would be Castillo game one sixty two. It would be Kirby one. It would be Kirby. From what I see on ESPN, yes. Okay. Castillo would has throw Miller, Gilbert. Yeah, it has Miller, Gilbert, Wu, Castillo, Kirby. Okay. Wow. I'm wow. I'm pumped. It was it's beautiful the way this season is finished. I'm gonna go with what what you said, Houston, just because been there, done that. This is nothing for them, right? Like, this is they've been on high leverage. All of these guys have been in high leverage. So many instances. Uh, I trust Verlander. I love what I saw from him last start for the most part. And I just think this Mariners staff is really taxed and you have the inexperienced side of it. I, I hope the Mariners make it. I, I would rather the Mariners make it just from a personal fan standpoint, but 
I'm going to side with the experience and, 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 and the Houston Astros. In Ode to the Champions League, which is going right now, it, this almost feels like if one of these European giants doesn't qualify for the World Cup, and it happens all the time. Like Italy wasn't in the World Cup, one of the previous World Cups. Germany wasn't in one, one of the previous World Cups. The Netherlands missed out on the World Cup. And you get so accustomed to seeing those powers in the World Cup that when they're not there, so many Americans are Googling like, hey, why isn't the Netherlands in this right now? Why aren't the Italians in the World Cup right now? Like that was always my adopted country here. For me, it's you turn on the postseason ball and we're in it on a daily basis. But if I'm a casual baseball fan that kind of waits to the postseason to tune in, I'm wondering who the Astros are playing. And like if the Astros aren't in it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a shocker. That's new news to me. Uh, totally. New news, by the way, Swift Kelsey. Um, <laughs> but tying a bow on the Bradish thing, I was just like walking around at like 2 a.m. And, and I was just like, wow, literally nobody over here knows that Kyle Bradish might be generational with his slider. But <laughs> no one here knows. They haven't <laughs> no seen the AFL rosters. What I know. They haven't seen the AFL rosters either. Oh, they they haven't seen, no one. No one out there knows about the Arizona Fall League rosters. It's no one which, knows by the that way, Jackson Job and Drew Romo are going to be teammates out with the uh, oh Salt River God. Rafters, right? Uh, that's going to be the best. That's going to be the best battery in AFL history. I seriously like. We're, we're going to talk about it. We'll probably do like a brief when when the season really gets rolling. Just a quick fly through of the best prospects on here. Uh, but the call up, I'm gonna, we're going to break down every roster. Check yeah. that out. This is. Look, I won't pretend I, I always feel weird saying like this is the best I've seen because it, it implies like that that holds weight if Jonathan Mayo says it, right? Because Jonathan Mayo's seen a lot. But for me, it's like this is the best I've seen. I've seen like five Arizona Fall Leagues very closely. But this is just a loaded freaking Arizona Fall League squad. So just, the whole league is insane this year. So uh excited to break that down. And for those that want their like baseball fix, I, I'm my dream is to pitch major league baseball on like letting us broadcast some of these games because if if they had better coverage it's like a it's like a minor league all-star game every day i don't know why they don't air them more but i will say this when they are aired tune in i promise you'll have fun it's loaded it's a blast if you're in the area area in arizona go check it out it's super accessible it's super quiet you can go right in the first row i mean i watched jordan walker jason dominguez like back to back to back my my boy matt mervis like in order the other the the other time mason Wynn was out there like it it was just so much fun you'll see great baseball and i can guarantee you you will see if you go to one game there's a 99 percent chance you will see a big league all-star playing and i think that's selling it very well i think i I genuinely we'll get every roster i'll give you five different guys that i think will at least make one all-star game um and you're for I sure think seeing a very a high chance prospect. that if you go to a game, you will see a big league all-star. Yeah. Maybe there's, there'll be an exception to that. You go to one, you horrible luck. You go to a game between the two teams that don't turn out one big league all-star. Sorry. Fuck me. If that happens, I like your chances. There you go. Cursing again, man. What's gotten into you? Um, <laughs> Jordan Coping. Walker. Yeah, I understand. Jordan Walker, another guy that uh, we're going to talk about here in a moment. We're going to go kind of rapid fire through this, but I'm working on something for just baseball.com should be up in the next day or two. And it's 10 guys that I kind of deem worthy of a pre-arbitration extension. And I want to talk through what those extensions could look like. And the list of 10 is, is a fascinating list guys that were at the fall league this year. There's a guy that is, I think three games into his major league career at this point. Um, But then there are other guys that are about to hit uh, their final year of pre-arb next year, but 
you would think like these guys are already well into arbitration and might be closer to uh, to free agency, but that's just not really the case. So the 10 guys that I ID'd are Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals, William Contreras of the Brewers, who somehow is still pre-arp, George Kirby of the Mariners, Yuri Perez of the Marlins, Junior Caminero of the Rays, Gabby Moreno of the Diamondbacks, C.J. Abrams of the Nats, and Jordan Walker of the Cardinals. And we'll kind of go through these one by one. Yeah. And I so, think that there are a big three of big money deals, and then the rest we can kind of work with like team-friendly type. Yeah. I think it would be super helpful real quick to kind of set the scene here too, Jack, of why both parties would do this. Yeah. Um, because it's 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 interesting, and, and it's really like I, I never realized how com- – it's like one of those things you take for granted because you're just – when you cover baseball and you like you're in it, you've been contract nerds like you and I, you kind of just like one of those things that you just know and don't really know how you know it. And when I went to explain it to, uh, to my mom, I was like, wait, this is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more complicated than, than I I think about it in my brain. So I, I think there's some very passionate baseball fans that may not totally understand why it makes sense for both parties. Like, and, and I think even, I think there's people that cover the game that don't totally get it. When you start to like work, and I know you get this, like you see guys going through the minor league grind and, and how much you, know, you have to sacrifice to get there. The player side is very understandable in terms of why they would take the guaranteed money when they can. Um, yeah. And then I think on the team side, it's become so expensive to you know, attain guys in free agency. And you have so many disaster stories in free agency that I think you know, people used to say, oh, pre-arb deals are, are a huge risk because you don't have as much proof of concept. Right. Like, for example, Gabriel Moreno, he's had one really good half and I'm excited to talk about him because this, it's been an unbelievable half. But at this point, you don't have three, four five years of success to to lean on when you sign a free agent. And that's usually the low end. Usually you have six, seven, eight years of success. And that's where you go get a Xander Bogart to Trey Turner. But in those deals, you have a different kind of risk, which is how long are they going to be this good? And, and I think that's just as much risk as to, hey, is he going to continue to be this good? Or like, will he be able to continue to progress and be a good baseball player? Of course, we've had pre-arb deals that go poorly, and we can highlight yeah. some of those. But I think, if anything, it's less of a risk than spending big in free agency because one, it's cheaper, and we'll explain how that how it's cheaper. And two, uh, a lot of these guys, you have so much information now, you can feel pretty confident that they're going to continue to get better. Um, and at the very least, pre-arb deals are so valuable, even if they're struggling. You could probably broker a deal and get out of it. You're not going to be able to get out of a free agent deal because you paid top of the market and outbid everybody else, and now you're trying to get out of that deal. It's it's different. Um, but I guess the last thing I'd say, Jack, is if you could set the scene on like why the deals are cheaper, then we can yeah. get into it. Yeah. So you know, like some of the deals that have gone wrong, and those names that are going to jump to the forefront of I think everybody's mind are John Singleton with the Astros, uh, Scott Kingery with the Phillies. Um, Paul DeYoung with the Cardinals, David Bodie with the Cubs. Mm -hmm. I think those are probably the big four that jumped to my mind, but deals that have been done recently that are working out really well. Luis Robert with the White Sox. He signed his deal before he even debuted. And then, of course, every Atlanta Brave to ever exist ever. So Austin Riley looks great in the early goings. Spencer Strider, that deal looks great in the early goings. Michael Harris, I've got no concerns about that one. And the two biggest in baseball, um, are Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies. Those are the two biggest jobs ever. Well, J-Rod is a $200 billion pre-arb extension guy, and we can yeah. get into how that made sense. Same with Carroll. Carroll was eight years for $111 million, and Which I thought a, that that was the most player-friendly one. 
is a yeah. bargain. Well, I think it's still it's it's a bargain for everybody involved. I, it's super player friendly. I agree, but it's, it's like it's still a no brainer. Yeah, no, no brainer here. And J Rod, I think, is a no brainer too because of the way that it escalates. But simple contract structure, the way that you may typically think of contract structure in baseball. You debut. You have six years of service before you hit free agency. You have three pre-arb years and you have three arb years, arbitration years. Pre-arb, team can tender you a contract for the league minimum. So this year, those guys are making 720000 I think next year it's seven fifty, and it escalates year by year. When you get to arbitration, you pitch what you think you are worth. And year one of arbitration is going to be a relatively low number because you will never go below that number in ARB 2 or ARB 3. They build on each other. So if a guy signs a pre-ARB record like Cody Bellinger does, that's why the Dodgers couldn't tender him a deal this past year, because they could have tendered him like, you know, a $10 million deal and it would have been worth it. But this guy was due for like a one-year $25 million deal in year three of arbitration. You just can't do that. So there, there are like certain levels to this. And you pitch what you think you're worth. Team pitches what you think you're worth. If you come to an agreement, great. You avoid arbitration. If you go to arbitration, you have a third party, non-biased, decide which number is right. And that's where players can get pissed because teams go to the arbiter and say, here's why we think this guy sucks, a la Corbin yeah. Then yeah. you hit free agency. And when you hit free agency, Taiwan Walker and Jamison Tyone get four-year deals for $70 million. Why do that when you can get Michael Harris on what eight years, 70 million or key Brian Hayes on seven yeah. years, 80 million. Yeah. Go do and, that instead. And from the team perspective, you know, it's like, why doesn't every team do this? Well, you know, you can also just ride out arbitration. It's super cheap and, you know, let it ride. And, and yeah. there's guys that can do that. If you're doing that, you're probably thinking, Hey, this guy's not going to be good for the next decade. Plus if you think a guy's going to be good for the next decade, plus you front a little bit more money and it's a no brainer for the players, right? Because, Instead of making the minimum for two more years and then a low arbitration number that Harris escalates is making like eight million this year, Michael Harris. Yeah, instead yeah, of seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, he's making eight million instead of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Think about that. So for him, it's worth it. He can alter his life and he can support his family and do whatever the hell he wants to do now immediately, way sooner. Sure, does he give up some money on the back end? Yeah, but I think for a lot of these players, it's like, especially if you hit it at the right spot for like a Mike Harris or a guy. Some of the guys that you talk about, they come up so early you'll still hit free agency at 30 and you get the best of both worlds. Um, but for some guys that may not even hit free agency at 30, I still get it because like you solidify yourself, you guarantee this generational wealth. And also you're able to get the money sooner. You can invest it. You can do whatever, like you, you can, you can do more things with that. So yeah, like could Corbin Carroll have waited till free agency and, you know, and, and maybe hit free agency a little bit earlier and got a little bit more money outside of it. Sure. But I'll give up two, three years of free agency on the back end for some more money fronted on the front end. And it's just a classic give and take here that I think is a good way of this kind of messed up system taking care of itself a bit with the best players seeming to, you know, earn themselves a, a pre-arb deal. And I think Gunnar Henderson's next. So we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, like for example, John Birdie's in his third year of arm now. So he's got one more after this and you know, like, or sorry, second year of ARB this year, he made $2.1 million. Like that guy on the open market, believe it or not, probably would have made more than that. But this is an example of the ARB like situation kind of, I mean, he led the league in stolen bases and that helped him in his ARB case and it helped him make $2.1 million. Um, yeah. So it just kind of shows you how, 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 you know, it works out that way.
Well, and think about some of the pitchers that are making $25 million this year. Think about the pitchers that are worse than Spencer Strider. This year is the first year of a six-year, $75 million deal. And Atlanta is paying him $1 million this year instead of $750,000. They're paying him $1 million next year instead of $750,000. And then it's $4 million in what replaces his first year of arbitration. His first year of ARB, if he was good for the next two years, coming in ahead of four, but they own four, he would have come in at lower than 20, but they owe him 20 his second year of ARB. They owe him 22 his third year of ARB. But yeah. then he makes $22 million in what would have been his first year out of team control. If this guy is who we think he can be, he's a $35 million AAV guy. Yeah. And the Braves have him for $13 million less than that. And then they have a club option at $22 million where they Which can decline that if he's not yeah. there. They will activate that as quick as humanly possible if yeah. he is who we think he can be. So, yes, you're rolling the dice, but it buys you cheaper years when you hit free agency because you fork up a little bit more up front, like you're saying. And the last thing I'll say is I think it, the way you broke that down, obviously not that much of a change in the first two years of ARB, but then – or pre-ARB, but in arbitration, I mean – he probably netted himself an extra 15 to $20 million. Probably 20 uh, mil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's guaranteed that's, you know, signed, sealed and delivered. So that's, 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 uh, and he's going to have free agency young. So I think it works out really well for Strider. There we go. So rapid fire here. We're going to spend like a minute on each guy. First guy for me is Adley Rutschman, who I think gets the biggest ticket deal that we see in terms of average annual value. Adley has, at this point, four years of control remaining after this year. My guesstimate here was seven years for $90 million, which is slightly cheaper AAV-wise than Carroll, and two or one year fewer, seven years, 90. But remember, you signed Carroll for five years of control, or maybe six years of control. I think six years of control. Versus Adley, you're signing him for four years of control. The way I look at Adley is, yes, he's a catcher that becomes, you know, a teensy bit more risky. But this guy, like, if he hit free agency, he could absolutely sign a $200 million deal as a catcher. Why not just buy three more years on the back end? Do you think 90 is too cheap? No, it's catchers are weird. Catchers always catchers end up getting worse than you think. I would say this is the one guy who's the exception. If I'm his agent, I'd say, hey, dude, I don't blame you if you, wanna, if you don't want to take the pre-arb deal. Mm-hmm. because he's going to get a lot of money in our relatively speaking still not the same and it is what it is but you know he's a dude that has been you know number one pick a lot of money comes with that there's a lot of value to that he's made yeah. a lot of money on you know endorsements and, and signatures and things like that and i don't think he's at the best of his game yet like this year i, I thought was going to be a little bit better i think he's gonna be even better next year he's special the lot of leverage in being a, a franchise catcher for a team that's, you know, kind of turning the tides here and becoming, you know, one of the best teams in baseball. This is the one dude that I, I know it's tough for catchers, but he's also older, mind you. So he would hit free agency 31, 32. Yeah. It's the one dude that I would hold out. And if I'm the Orioles, this is the guy I'm making a priority to try to get to sign a pre-arb deal. Do you think seven for 90 is enough to convince him? Sometimes these deals shock me. So it's really tough. I, I think so. I would go up to seven for a hundred, eight for one fifteen. Like this guy's one of the best catchers in baseball already. Um, you can make the yeah. case he's the most talented. Uh, 
especially with Murphy falling off in the second half. I, I think it's worth it, no doubt. I'm just curious if he, if he would take it. He's the one yeah. guy I think you can, you can make the case, like leverage is in his hands. For sure. What about Bobby Witt Jr.? Bobby Witt has four years of team control remaining after this. Bobby Witt has been transcendent this year. 150 games last year. He had a 2.3 war, a 98 WRC plus, and negative 11 outs above average. This year so far, in two more games, 152 games, he's more than doubled his F war from 2.3 to 5.4. Yes, it's because of a 15-point jump in WRC plus, but he is so night and day as a defender. Negative 11 outs above average last year, 12 outs above average this year. He has been one of the better overall defenders in baseball. And he's like a full-time shortstop now. He's the fastest guy in baseball. He could have a 30-50 season in year two. The contract that I have penciled in here is nine years for $110 million. I think that might be low. Might be. Could be. Dare I bring his name up? Um, The Wander Franco deal. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just talking about the contracts. Yeah, not the person. Obviously, (laughs) it's a template. It's a template. Julio type deal. Yeah, Julio's crazy escalator is really unique. And what I love is like you can you can get unique and and clever with these. So creative. It's fun. You can get really creative, and and that's the fun aspect of it as well. Like it it allows for very open dialogue. Um. And for like J Rod, it's like the Mariners have some protection, but at the same time, if he balls out, like he gets his due. And you know what was it? Eleven years, one eighty-two for Wander, um, so. with some escalators in there. I, I think something along those lines. There's three million dollar MVP escalators and stuff like that. How old is Bobby Witt? He's twenty-three. Twenty-three. I mean, I'd give him that right now. I, he's pretty much shown everything you need to show. And I mean, the, the Ronald Acuna deal is never happening again, right? No, like the, the Luis Robert deal is never happening again. So what would be the most comparable template? I, I, Bobby Wood Jr.'s, what, what does Corbin Carroll have that Bobby Wood doesn't? I mean, I don't think anything at this point. I was going to say defensive ability coming into this year, but now flip the script here. Like Wit is as fast Wit has arguably more power. I think it's got to be a Corbin Carroll, Bobby, or it's got to be a Corbin Carroll, Wander Franco type deal. I, he just seems like the perfect guy for these new rules, obviously. But then he's also someone that's going to be a 40 40 threat moving forward. Like he's only going to get better and better. This is one, this is probably the easiest pre arb deal for me. Uh, of yep. all the names we're going to list, this is probably the biggest no brainer. So there's one of those where it's like, you can kind of give me a crazy price and I'll meet it. it like, again, I'd go as high as Wander, but I'd try to negotiate it down a little bit lower. Wander's prospect pedigree helps, but Bobby Wood has the prospect pedigree and he has the bloodlines. And he's, you know, as, as far as I know, one of the highest regarded guys in terms of makeup. And we, we talked about that with, I know your buddy who was you know, the, the broadcaster for Omaha um, had nothing yeah. but great things to say about him. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's jump to Gunnar Henderson here because Gunnar was actually very easy for me. He's working with one fewer year of control. I believe in Carroll's dynamic abilities a little bit more than I do Gunner's, but I think Gunner can come to the table with Baltimore and say, you see what Carroll got? I want that right now. Literally carbon copy eight years, $111 million. Done. Yeah. I would, I would legitimately duplicate it and good for both sides. A hundred percent. Only thing I'll add is, you know, 
there was a level of Corbin being safer at the time of the deal because Corbin, you know, just we just saw the game translate so seamlessly. Gunner had some ups and downs, and then now it's just been straight up since. I, I this is a guy that I'm actually juggling right now, being back at home at my mom's place, going through some of the old cards. I forget the cards that I pick up yeah. during, you know. There's a bunch that I picked up during the 2022 minor league season and 2021 minor league season. And sometimes, you know, the ones that I know I want to hold, I'll just stow away. And I'll forget now because I've been covering the minors for longer now. And I was going through and I'm like, holy crap, I have a Gunnar Henderson out of 99. And so realizing that, normally I believe we're sell, sell at the top and, and just, you know, reinvest in some other prospects. Gunner's the kind of guy where I don't know if I should, this isn't the top. I think you could compete for MVPs. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I think the Orioles probably see it the same way. They're cheap as hell. I need money right now. I'm cheap as hell. I'd love to have that money. But shit, man, sometimes you got to go against the grain. And I think I'm going to do it with Gunner. And I think the Orioles should too. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I still think Carroll demands more. And they bought out, you know, one more year of control for Carroll. So you're getting one more year of free agency instead of one pre-arb year um, for Gunner. But I, I think that's fair because I think they say, hey, Carroll does these things that you don't. And, and I think Gunner has to stomach that and be okay with it. So I, I think that that is fair price. Uh, rapid fire through the final six. William Contreras of the Brewers. He has four RBers remaining. Difference for Contreras is he gets out of arbitration after his age 30 season or his age 29 season. So he enters free agency as a 30-year-old catcher. Um, for Contreras, you're buying out four years. I think if you went five years for 50 – that's fair. Yeah, I, I would look at, you know, a little bit more than the Kiebert Ruiz deal, maybe. I know I know it's a little bit less or a little bit less control, so maybe you could even escalate it a bit more. Yeah. I think it's important to note too, you gotta look at like who these guys were as prospects and like mm-hmm. what their you know, what their signing bonus was, because I'm pretty sure William Contreras signed for fifteen thousand dollars. And like that's an important aspect of this because most of the time Again, these guys are just finally making that money. And prospect pedigree comes into account with these things as well, as much as you'd like to think it does, and it does. Um, William William would be happy to take, I think. The, I don't want to speak for him, but I, if I were in his shoes, I'd be. like Guarantee that money, especially the, the free agent market for catchers that aren't the number one catcher in baseball is usually kind of poor. Uh, we've seen that. So I, I think this would be a no brainer for all parties involved. And even if he, he's been great defensively this year, which has been amazing to see him make those strides. But even if he somehow hit a wall and he had 27, 28, that bat will always play. And you won't be upset about paying him 10 million to, to, to hit because again, that bat will play. For sure. How about George Kirby with Seattle? You got five years of team control for him after this. Pitchers are always tough. Pitchers are always it's tough. tough. But if there's a guy that I'm going to give money to, it's probably George Kirby. Durable. Just, just consistently good. Um, yeah, you had the little mishap with, you know, with his comments. I don't think that matters. Um, and you just, you know, even on the low end, he's giving you a three five with with a lot of innings. Pitchers are cheap though; like it's going to be cheaper than Strider. So, what does it look like? It's it's uh, a little bit less control though. So probably something similar to Strider. It's actually identical control because he didn't meet like rookie requirements and he didn't get that full year of service that Strider okay. got last year. Um, so it's identical control. Strider got six years for 75 at the club option on the back end. Um, I think six years for 70 is probably fair. You buy out one year was, of open was, market. Yeah, because the, the Sandy deal was slightly different. That Five was definitely for 54. Less, but that was definitely less control for Sandy. 
Yeah, um, because four years he, of control. Yeah. So I think something between those two, no doubt. Okay. Um, how about Yuri Perez? That's a weird one, man. Yeah, because I think it's technically six years of control. It's six years of control, and another guy signed for a couple hundred thousand, I think. Um, I don't know. What would you do here? I, I have some concerns about injury and things like that, and it's just like you give a pre-arb deal to a guy right after he just maxed out his innings and looked fatigued. But he also has the ability to be a, a, a generational type pitching prospect and big league pitcher, I should say now. And the Marlins are, they can't afford to sign him in a couple of years. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you think it looks like for him? Because there's not as much of the, the pedigree. Uh, yes. He had some really good minor league seasons. He instantly thrusted himself as, and one of the best pitching prospects in in the game, if not the best, he was he was my favorite, and he has the big league success under his belt. But th- there's still a level of unknown here that's interesting for him. I would take an, a pre arb deal in two seconds. He's going to hit free agency at, even after a pre arb deal. If it's if he gives up eight years of control from now, or or nine years of control from now, he could hit free agency at 29. So it's a no brainer for him. But how would you approach it if you're in the Marlins? I think seven for 68 to 70. Do you think he says yes to that? Yeah, I think he would. Because here's the thing, man, is you have the – and this is the tough part for the Marlins on the pitching side is I, I hope he stays healthy. I hope he, you know, churns out innings and, and, and is great. But, you know, you have Tommy John, God forbid, knock on wood. I mean, that's a whole year and change wiped out, and you're paying him an elevated salary during that year. Um, and I know it's morbid and, like, weird to think about, but for the Marlins, like, every every dollar matters. They're cheap. They're, they're broke as shit. So I would do it. Because I think he's going to be special, and I think even if he gets Tommy John, whatever it is, he's going to be he's going to be good. And he's going to come back. He's going to be healthy. And there's no reason to believe that he's going to have that. I hate to be, like I hate that that's the first thing I think of. But when you're talking about sixty, seventy million dollars, it's going to be the first thing the team thinks of. So you got to you can't pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, um, I, I think the way that he got through this year is super encouraging on one side, but also makes me a little bit more nervous for next year, given the the uptick in workload. So I'd do it in two seconds if I'm both parties, but. The Marlins, I'd be a little bit nervous. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they want to see one one more year and would rather pay a little bit more after one more year coming off of his biggest workload. If I'm the yeah. Marlins, that's probably how I'd approach it, as pro player as I am. We're going to save three more for you to have to go read the article. Um, but last one, really unique one, Junior Caminero with Tampa. Caminero has three games under his belt. We've seen him pop, what, a 112 for his first big league hit, a 106 off the green monster. Caminero's a freak that it would have been fine if he ended the year in double A this year and started the year in high A. But that's not the case. He was the Southern League MVP, and he ends the year in the big leagues. Caminero is the number two prospect in baseball, according to you and according to JustBaseball.com. If Caminero signs and bypasses the six years of team service, this could be like the ultimate Tampa flea steal. I think you get him through his entire pre-arb and arb at six years, $45 million. He would take it too, I think. I, I hate think speaking so. for guys, but I'm just trying to like take into account the percentages and like what people would do in that position. And it, it's a risk for the Rays, no doubt, but Caminero has the potential to be one of the best players in Major League Baseball. Um, I, we've talked about all of that, and um, it's been pretty cool to see 
you know, we thought we, we were high on him when we had him in the eighties ahead of the year and look at where he's at now. Number two. And uh, it's been probably one of the you know fastest climbers. I think this year, I'm pretty sure he signed for like 30 something thousand dollars. There we go. Or, or uh, I'm, it might be less. It might be more. I, I can guarantee it's not significant. He was traded for Tobias Myers. So this is a guy that's definitely going to, I think, jump on the opportunity for generational wealth, right? Like, I think that's yeah. that's an opportunity there. For the race side, sure, it's a little bit risky. But at that price point, for a guy that already has some of the best raw power in, in the bigs now, too, I would, I would rip that in two seconds. I mean, he is a special, special talent. I'd say start the conversation at 40, and he says yes by 45, which is crazy, and that would be an amazing, amazing deal for Tampa. All right, final three guys. You're going to have to go to JustBaseball.com. It will be in the episode description as soon as the article is live. Aram, thank you very much. Sending all the love to you and your family, as always. Thank you. And, um, one, one last yeah. little thing. I appreciate that. Um, might be a little bit corny, but I just, honestly, it just means uh, a lot to me. The, the one thing that stood out to my grandpa above all, and the one thing I've tried to carry with me is, as I, like I mentioned earlier, the way he could engage with strangers, the, the joy that he, he that he gained just by conversing with people, by getting to know people, uh, by just bringing that smile wherever he goes. And if if you could just anybody out there, just fucking say hi to somebody, just give a smile to somebody. Like you'd be surprised how much it changes people's days. And and I'm learning that just by all the people that have reached out to me and my mom and my family about my grandfather, whether they knew him for three days or three decades about how he impacted them. Don't be surprised at how a smile and a hello or, you know, a, a, a serious, how are you doing? Not just one of the, you know, run of the mill ones can actually make somebody's day and make an impact on people. My grandpa taught me that uh, just through watching and now through this horrible time, just seeing how many people were impacted by something so simple just asking how people are doing and checking in on them and being personable. So if anyone out there wants to uh, go out of their way and say hello to somebody today and in his honor, I'd, I'd appreciate that. That's awesome. All right. Every link you need in the episode description as always. Um, and with that, we will talk to you guys tomorrow.